freestyle preaching, time when we get a bit of a brief reprieve from our preaching series while some of our families are away on holidays. And it's a time of the year when the words free topic appear on the preaching roster next to your name. And it can be an opportunity to speak what God has placed on your heart for the, the new year. Or it can be a time to indulge in one's favourite passages or books. And last week, Pastor Glenn preached from what God had placed on his heart for this church for the coming year. And so this week, I will be indulging in one of my favourite books. Ecclesiastes is a book that a lot of people shy away from. It's rarely preached and it's often largely ignored, perhaps because it doesn't fit nicely with what we think wisdom literature should be like. We like our wisdom to come in the forms of happy sayings, particularly happy sayings which can easily be applied directly to life, such as is found in Proverbs or the Psalms. But you won't find many happy sayings in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's wisdom like that found in the book of Job, takes a much darker form. And it's such a pity because this book is so overlooked because I think there's no other book in the Bible that is so relatable to the current generation. And that's a big call. It absolutely speaks our language without any requirement for prior biblical background. You can come in completely cold, with no prior exposure to any biblical text. You can read Ecclesiastes and immediately feel a certain camaraderie with the author of this book. Because most people today have done some of the things that he has done in an attempt to find meaning in their life. And so they can relate exactly to the way that he feels. Not only is there no other book that is so relatable to this current generation, there is no other book that so completely paints a backdrop for Jesus to step into. In fact, one writer even goes so far as to say that Ecclesiastes is the most striking messianic prophecy in the whole of the Old Testament. Now that's a statement that the scholars and debate for as long as they like. You won't find any of your traditional Old Testament type prophecies in Ecclesiastes. There's no the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son or behold your king comes riding on a donkey. It's not that kind of prophecy. Ecclesiastes is messianic in a much more subtle way because it provides a backdrop that is crying out for a main character who will come and make things matter. So hold that thought for a little while. We're going to come back to it later. The final reason why I love this book is because you don't need to be a great scholar to get the gist of it. All you need is a pen or for a few different coloured highlighters and off you go. You will figure it out. So if you're ready, we're going to give it a go and I'm going to show you how messy Ecclesiastes has become in my Bible. 
And as Julie Andrews sang in The Sound of Music, we'll start at the very beginning. Always. That's right, Shirley, a very good place to start. Whoop. So here we go. This is Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. What we're going to do is we're going to start by looking for anything that repeats and then go mad, circling those repeats. You can do this anywhere in your Bible and it will always yield treasure because as Pastor Bruce says all the time, if it's in there once, it's important. If it's in there twice, it's very important. If it's in there three times, it's really important. And I would add to his saying, if it's in there more than three times, it's off the scale, grab you by the shoulders and shake you important. And you will find that there are many things in Ecclesiastes that are repeated 20, 30, even up to nearly 40 times. So there's a lot of things in there that you need to take notice of. Nowhere else in the Bible will you find such reward for your efforts in doing this exercise as you will in Ecclesiastes. So the first thing that jumped out to me were all of these eyes down here. So I started circling all the eyes and there were loads of them. They're everywhere. And then I noticed that along with the eyes, there's a lot of mys and me's. You can circle them. And there's also a lot of myselfs. So I underlined those. Next thing that I noticed was this phrase here, which gets repeated a lot of times. You can follow that phrase throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, more than 20 occurrences of under the sun or under the heavens. They mean the same thing in that book. And then I noticed another phrase, and I'd sort of run out of shapes, circly kind of shapes, so we used a squiggly line here like trying to catch the wind. And you can follow that one as well right through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now after that I'd exhausted my creativity for different shapes with the pen so I switched to a highlighter and you can see the pink highlighter there for the word pointless. In some versions it will say meaningless, in some versions vanity of vanities. This is a word that occurs 38 times in Ecclesiastes. Someone is grabbing you by the shoulder here and shaking you. This is an important word. It runs right through the book. So taking it from the beginning then, my Bible helpfully has a little subtitle above verse 2 to tell you that here comes the theme. But the theme is obvious if you've done this exercise. You don't need to see to have the theme stated there. You can see it in the first verse or the second verse there. It's repeated three times. Absolutely pointless, says the spokesman. Absolutely pointless. Everything is pointless. And if you didn't get the point, he'll repeat it again down here. It is like trying to catch the wind. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? It is absolutely pointless, which is exactly the author's point. Pardon the pun. So something here is pointless. What could it be? Well, there's a lot of eyes over here. I built, I planted, I made. 
I bought, I owned, I gathered, I provided myself. There's a lot of effort being expended over here and what's it being directed towards? I'll just bring a few of these up. So we've got the pointless, we've got the trying to catch the wind and now we're over here. What is this being directed towards? I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. Slaves were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered silver and gold for myself. I provided myself with male and female singers and the pleasures men have with one concubine after another. And then in verse 11, when, all, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I'd toiled to achieve, everything was pointless, like chasing after the wind. Flick through the book. Wisdom, pointless. Pleasures, pointless. Hard work, pointless. Advancement, pointless. Riches, pointless. Now we know that that's just not true, don't we? Wisdom is not pointless because the Bible says if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And the Bible's not going to tell you to ask God for something that is absolutely pointless. Likewise, the Bible also says of hard work in Proverbs, in all toil, there is profit. So it can't be pointless. Or in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as though working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, some might point the finger here and say, uh-huh, you see... The Bible contradicts itself. But what we have here is not an issue of contradiction, but an issue of perspective. And Ecclesiastes is very, very clear on its perspective. We know the perspective because we've already circled it lots and lots of times. All of these things are pointless under the sun. That is the perspective from which Ecclesiastes is written and we'll come back to that one as well in just a minute. The word Ecclesiastes comes from a Latin transliteration of a Greek word which itself is a translation from the original Hebrew word corlette. Originally the word referred to an assembly or a congregation of people which is why we get the, the Greek word ecclesia, which refers to church. The word ecclesiastes means the teacher, presumably because of that association with an assembly or a, a gathering. And the author here uses it as a pseudonym for himself. So you'll find this word repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. Martin Luther calls him the preacher. And so in the Lutheran Bibles, often this whole book might even be titled the preacher. So the book of Ecclesiastes then is the accumulated wisdom of this preacher or teacher. The teacher is assumed in traditional Jewish writings and throughout church history to be King Solomon. However, nowhere in the book is the author specifically named. 
What we do know about this teacher is what he tells us about himself. He tells us that he was king of Jerusalem. He tells us he was son of David, or that could mean he was in the line of David. He tells us he was a man of wisdom and of considerable means and also a writer of Proverbs. And hence, that's why it's assumed often that he was King Solomon. What this man wanted, this man got. And he details much of that for us in chapter 2. In search for pleasure and meaning in life, he has undertaken great projects. He has built houses, planted vineyards, made reservoirs, bought slaves, amassed great herds and flocks, accumulated silver and gold, singers and as many women as he wanted. Verse 10 says, I denied myself nothing my eyes had desired. His impressive list is designed to attest to a life that was exceptional. Exceptional back then, perhaps, but not necessarily so now. Look back over the list. How many of the things that he lists have you done yourself? How many things in the list do you now know to be an unsurprising part of everyday life in Australia? He undertook great projects. We've got a great project going on here. He built houses for himself. How many of you have ever built a house for yourself? Probably quite a few. He planted gardens and parks. He had all kinds of fruit trees. I've got quite a lot of fruit trees in my garden. Even owning a vineyard is not really that unusual anymore. I know plenty of people who do it through my job. I used to work with them. What about male and female slaves? You probably don't have too many of them, but I would think it's a fairly safe guess that many of you pay people to come and clean your house or paint your house or mow your lawn or look after your children or perhaps even cook for you. If we don't want to do the work ourselves, many of us have the means to afford to pay someone else to do it. And then there are some things that we don't have because they just don't exist in our culture. We don't have herds and flocks because we live in cities. But you could substitute shares and stocks. Plenty of us have them. Few of us would have male and female singers for entertainment. But what about giant TV screens, internet, iTunes, smartphones, tablets, concerts, theatres, cinemas, things that could not have been imagined back then are now readily available to us. We could add to his list international travel, motor vehicles, air conditioning, all kinds of drugs, immense libraries of knowledge, amusement parks, luxury cruises, resort-style holidays. The list could go on and on. We have it all readily available, which is precisely why Ecclesiastes speaks like no other book to our current generation. We have tried it all, and many of us have concluded, as the teacher did, that it is all pointless. The Hebrew word for pointless or meaningless or vanity of vanities is hebel. It means literally breath 
or vapour. And its use in Ecclesiastes points to that which is fleeting or hard to grasp. Things which are temporary, like a puff of breath, all beyond our understanding. Why are they temporary or beyond our understanding? It is because of our perspective. And our perspective is that of being under the sun. It is an earthly perspective. It is temporary because our mortal lives come to an end. We all die eventually. Beyond our understanding because we are not God and we do not see things fully from his perspective. Death in Ecclesiastes is the explanation for the futility that the teacher experiences in all of his efforts under the sun. Accumulated wisdom, pleasures, hard work, advancement, amassed riches, all of these consumed him for a time, but none of them brought satisfaction. They were only like a vapour that dries up and dissipates with death under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3.19 says, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Meaningless when your perspective is under the sun. Meaningless with an earthly perspective. Ecclesiastes documents the wisdom of the teacher. He was a man who had everything under the sun and he was not satisfied. And so if the answer is not under the sun, then it follows that it must be beyond the sun. And so here we have a book that points beyond itself to the one who can bring meaning and purpose into every life. It is prophetic because it paints a picture of the futility of a life without God and it paints a picture that is crying out for a saviour who can bring meaning and purpose to each life. It is evangelistic because it speaks to your friends and family like nothing else in the Bible can. It speaks to their world, a life lived under the sun. And it is a call to a change of perspective. It is a call to get out from under the sun, S-U-N, and to live life under the sun, S-O-N. After examining all that life on earth has to offer, the teacher offers his concluding advice in the final chapter of the book. So if you would skip over to there with me. We're going to work through that final chapter. This is one of the most beautifully written chapters in the whole of the Bible. And I hope you can see that when we get there. We're going to work through it together. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no 
pleasure in them. What the teacher is saying here is, don't do what I did. Don't look for meaning in wisdom or pleasures or hard work or personal advancement or the accumulation of riches. While you're still young, remember the one who created all things and gives them meaning because if you don't, eventually, with the advancement of years, you will realise that there is no real pleasure in any of them. Perhaps the teacher knew that the younger people were more likely to forget the father than those with the wisdom and experience of years. I don't know. But this is his advice. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Here he paints for us a picture of confusion. If the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, what is left? Complete darkness. Confusion of darkness. And the fog that is depicted with the clouds coming back after the rain, it is a picture of the deterioration of the mind in old age. Before your mind loses its sharpness, he says, remember your creator. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, where are the keepers of the house? What are the keepers of your house? They're your hands. They protect your body. Before the keepers of the house tremble with old age and strong men stoop. I don't think that one needs too much further description. He's using here a very familiar method, repetition. There are no less than 20 different ways in this chapter of saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. But it would be boring to write that out 20 times. So he's given us some variation. This is something that he thinks is off the scale important that we need to know. It is grab you by the shoulders and shake you kind of important. Do this, he's saying, while you are still young and then you will know meaning in your life on earth. So we continue. When the grinders cease because they are so few and those looking through the windows grow dim. Anyone want to hazard a guess at what the grinders might be? That's right. Before your teeth cease, because they are so few, remember your creator. And those looking through the windows, who looks through windows? Your other windows on the world, yes. Remember your creator. Before your eyesight starts to fail with old age and your teeth start to fall out. It's more interesting than saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. <laughs> it's going to get worse here, okay? It goes downhill from here. When the doors to the street are closed, where are your doors to the street, you might think? 
your mouth, that's right. Your lips, as you get older, often your appetite decreases. The doors to the street are closed. And the sound of grinding fades. It fades because you've got less teeth. It fades because perhaps what you're eating is not so noisy anymore. You're not eating nuts and things like that. And it fades because your hearing fades and you can't even hear any grinding that there might be. This is why I love this passage, because it's picturesque. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. Now, someone tell me, why is this? Why is it that all your working life, you long for just one sleep in, and then finally, when you can actually sleep in, you just can't? First hint of light through the curtains, first sound of a bird chirping, and you're wide awake. I don't know any older people that lounge around and sleep in all day. That seems to be the domain of teenagers who should be up and about with all the energy in the world. <laughs> Sleeping in seems to be something for the youth. Every older person I know seems to be up and active and busy with the birds. Remember your creator before you become one of those people that rises with the birds. And all of their songs grow faint. As we age, our voices change, they become weaker, we speak more softly. You go to an aged care facility, there's no yelling and shouting. The people speak softly to one another. Remember your creator while you are still strong in voice. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street. Now, I don't think of myself as old just yet, but I'm already becoming more and more afraid of heights. I used to get up on our kitchen bench to dust the cobwebs off the lights there or to hang my pot plants, which Bruce doesn't like, having lots of plants hanging from the roof. And then when I was done, I used to simply jump off the kitchen bench and land and bend my knees. But there comes a point in life when you start to think, maybe that's not such a good idea anymore. My knees might not take the strain of the weight of my body if I jump straight off the kitchen bench. So I don't jump anymore. I sit on the edge of the kitchen bench and then slide off because it seems somehow safer. There comes a point when you're just not confident with heights. There also comes a point when steps and cracks in the pavement and uneven surfaces and loose stones become something to be feared because they can lead to embarrassing tumbles or worse still, to broken bones. And of course, we all know some people for whom this verse should read when people should be afraid of heights because some people seem to have no fear like this Gentleman up here on the ladder, I don't know what he was thinking on the, on the roof. The hand that you can see coming up is actually his wife. I don't know what she thought she was going to do to help him when he fell on top of her. There were going to be two people with broken bones. And the statistics for elderly men on ladders and roofs attest to the fact that some people should read this as people should be afraid of heights. Remember your creator, he's saying, before ladders and uneven surfaces become objects of fear and danger. Here's my personal favourite in this passage, when the almond tree blossoms. 
Have you ever been in an almond orchard when it is in full blossom? I have. If you head up north around the Sunraysia district of Victoria, you'll find plenty of them. Plenty of almonds in blossom up there. It looks like this. A canopy of white. No prizes for what that refers to. I can see a few canopies of white as I'm looking out today. Remember your creator, he's saying, before your canopy turns white. And the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. The one who used to be full of energy and bouncing is now slow and appears to drag himself along. The last part of verse 5 is transliterated for us in most English Bibles as I've got it up here, and desire is no longer stirred. My Bible here and the Hebrew literal rendering reads, and the caperberry is ineffective, or the caperberry fails to fruit. Capers come from the caper bush, which is up there. Capers and caperberries come from the same bush, but they're not the same thing. Capers are those little things that you put with fish or you put with eggs benedict or sometimes on pizzas. They are not a fruit. They're a flower bud that hasn't opened yet. That's what a caper is. A caper berry is the fruit that comes after that flower bud has been pollinated. Caper berries you can also eat. They're slightly larger than capers. There's a capers, there's a caper berries. They were used in biblical times as an aphrodisiac. Hence, when the caperberry is ineffective, desire can no longer be stirred. And the only positive I can offer you out of that is perhaps that we should take some comfort that the teacher chose to put this towards the end of the long list of problems of old age. It comes right before then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Silver cord, anyone want to hazard a guess at what that might be? The silver cord is your spinal cord and the golden bowl refers to your skull or your brain. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken at the well. It is an image of moving liquid. And of course, it refers to the human heart. Remember him before your heart beats no more. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. You get the idea, don't you? After 20 repetitions, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. But what exactly does it mean to remember? In this context, and generally when the word remember is used in the Bible, it doesn't mean, oh yes, I know God, I know who he is. I know he created the world. Yep, yep, I know who God is. 
That is not what remembering means in a biblical context. In this context, remembering means to move simply beyond recalling to acting decisively on their behalf. Think back to the story of Hannah found in the book of 1 Samuel. Hannah and her husband Elkanah were a devout but childless couple. They travelled year after year from their hometown to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the the Lord. You'll recall that on one occasion the old priest um, Eli observed Hannah in prayer and she was crying and her lips were moving but he could hear no words coming out and he thought she was drunk and he accused her of being drunk. One Samuel 1, 19 to 20 says, Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. The Lord remembered her. He didn't just recall the memory of Hannah praying or think nice thoughts about her. He took action on her behalf, in this case, blessing her with a son. And that, in short, is the message of Ecclesiastes. Don't just go through life knowing about God, knowing that there is a God. Know him and act decisively on his behalf. Do whatever it is in 2020 that he is calling you to do. Get out from under the S-U-N, sun, and put your life directly under the S-O-N, sun. Because all things under the S-U-N, sun, are temporary and futile and in death they will disappear like a vapour. But life on earth makes sense when it is lived under the S-O-N, sun. Lasting meaning and purpose can only be found in a life lived under the S-O-N sun. Amen.